The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're starting verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6, starting verse 12. And I'm going to raise this first because my eyesight is terrible. I might be raising this first. Nope, I'm not going to raise this first. We're going to leave it right where it is and we're going to deal with it. Okay, so all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the topics that it covers. We thank you for the truth it speaks into our lives. We thank you that your gospel gets specific. Lord, it gets to the heart of the issues that we have. And Lord, that your love for us is expressed in the details of how you speak to us. I pray that this passage would speak into our hearts, Lord. It would speak freedom. And God, I pray that you would use it to uh, make us more like your son. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. It's not exactly a sermon that you look forward to preaching when the passage gets assigned. I'm trying not to make connections between Jacob being out of town this weekend and this passage coming up in the schedule. So we won't talk about that any more than that, but uh, I, I really wasn't looking forward to preaching this passage when I first read it. And having studied it out and, and read through it, it has spoken a lot of joy into my heart, and I'm really hoping that it does the same thing for you. Not too, too long ago... Um, Alex and I were living in the apartment that we were up on the third floor. Those of you who helped us know our move probably remember very vividly that we were up on the third floor. Um, and it kind of just, the, our, the window in our bedroom overlooked our parking lot. And the, the apartment that we had we lived in um, had this rule that not very many people followed that you had to clean up dog mess. You couldn't leave your dog's poop just laying all over the place. Um, they, they provided free bags. Like when you moved in, they gave you like two little things with bags. They put bags up on every dumpster. It was very easy to follow the law that they had set in place. They provided all the tools that you needed. And I was getting ready one morning um, and uh, standing in front of that window, I was looking across the parking lot. And uh, the man who would show the apartments to people who were trying to move into the building was walking out of the building. And you could see him coming down the, the walkway from the left-hand side of the building. Um, over here, and then coming from the dumpster that was at the end of that walkway, there was a guy walking his dog. And he looked up and he saw the gentleman who was uh, kind of in charge of the apartment building 
walking out of the apartment building with people who wanted to move into the apartment building, and he very quickly turned around and grabbed a couple bags. And then he started to walk his dog across the parking lot extremely slowly, and the man and those people walked in front of him, and as soon as their backs were turned to him, you saw him look to his left, saw him look to his right, and he just threw the bag behind him and continued to walk his dog. Now, why did I tell you a story about someone not cleaning up their dog's poop? Well, first of all, it breaks away the awkwardness of a sermon on sexual ethic from the outset. And so that was the first reason. Um, the second reason is because I want you to keep that story in mind as we talk about what this passage has to talk about. Uh, because there's two things about humans, even Christians, um, I think that will always be true. There are two struggles that we have. Um, Non-Christians compulsively live by these two things, and, and Christians fall into these two things uh, in moments of weakness. And I'm going to use those terms, and I'm going to explain them, but the first thing would be functional atheism. Atheism is the belief that there is no God. Um, it can express itself in ways that I don't know if there's a God, therefore I'm going to live my life like there isn't one. I don't care if there's a God, I'm going to live my life like there isn't one. There absolutely, positively is not a God, and I'm going to live my life like there isn't one. And how is that functional atheism? Well, it's interesting to know that the person who saw him do that was above. Okay, I was three floors up. He had no idea what was there. But he looked to his left, he looked to his right. There was nobody behind him because he was up against the dumpster. The people in front of him weren't looking at him, and he never looked up. In that moment, he was acting functionally as an atheist. Now, I don't know that person. He could be a really great born-again Christian, but functionally, he was acting as an atheist in that moment. Why was he acting as an atheist? Well, he just didn't care about the fact that somebody above him was watching. Uh, he didn't really care about what the recourse of him letting go of that bag was going to be. Not only was he not intending to clean up his dog's mess, he was going to leave that there, but he also just threw bags on the ground, which is also against the rules and against the law. And the other thing is he was functioning as a humanist or a hedonist. Uh, those two things that humanism seeks that says that man's ultimate good, his ultimate uh, purpose is to seek his own goodness, to seek his own satisfaction. Hedonism would, would kind of take that a step further and say, you will literally do absolutely anything to do, make sure that that's accomplished. In that moment, he, in a very split-second decision, he decided that it was better for him to break the rules, leave his dog's mess on the ground, drop the bags, throw those on the ground. Didn't even there's a dumpster behind him. He didn't throw them away in the dumpster. He just literally let them go, and they blew across the parking lot. He decided that it was more important for him to not be inconvenienced by having to carry those bags around or by having to bend over and pick up his dog's mess. And so these are two things that are, that are, that are in my mind as I'm preaching this sermon this morning. They go together, these two things, functional atheism and hedonism or humanism. Once God's out of the picture of my conscience, once he's out of the picture of my life, then my conscience has, no, has normal significance, has no significance, I'm sorry, I wrote that in there wrong, has no significance as part of God's image. Once God's out of the picture, then my conscience has no significance as part of God's image. I don't have to worry about how I relate to God. I don't have to worry about how I relate to his rules. I don't have to worry about the law that he sets before us, the standards he sets for us. And I certainly am not concerned with the fact that his son came to die for me. If you can get, dog, uh, if you can get God out of the dog poop bags of your life, then you can proceed with your own indulgences. I know it's a silly story, but I, I think to me it mirrored what this passage is speaking to. John Piper said that when the battle begins in our own soul, we will look up. 
And by the power of the Spirit of God, we will be free from the desires of the body. We will not be enslaved by anything when we're functioning the way that God has created us to function. So we're going to dive into this passage a little bit further. And before we do, uh, I just want to say that the purpose of this message isn't to berate or to call, come down on or to kind of banhammer everybody in here. Uh, it is a message for everybody. Uh, we all struggle with a sexual ethic and thinking through our sexual ethic. We all struggle with, with how that part of our desire relates to God. Every single one of us do. And the purpose of this message is the fulfillment, or at least the pursuit, of chapter 6, verse 20. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. So we'll glorify God in our bodies. And the question is, I believe it's answered by this text, how do we do this practically? How do we live this call out in our day-to-day? And there's really just two points. I don't have slides today. I apologize. I didn't get in from our regional assembly of elders meeting last night until about 9 p.m., and I just didn't have time to throw them together. Um, but there's two points. There's going to be some sub-points, but they're super simple. Um, I'm going to go as slow as I can uh, while respecting the time. So we'll, we'll go through these pretty quickly. The first of these two points would be how, in, in answering the question, how do we live this call out day to day? And the call is to glorify God by desiring Christian joy over our own physical pleasure. I'll say that again. We can glorify God but desiring Christian joy over our own physical pleasure. And the first thing that helps us do that in this passage is just the idea of living by God's laws. And he gives us two. He gives us two laws to live by that will help us. These aren't hindrances, they're helps. And these two laws, before I give them to you, kind of deal with the idea of when we consider and we weigh, and much of Paul's writings lends itself to this, of of pitting legalism against the gospel. And when we think through this passage, we don't want to think about it in a legalistic way because some of the examples that Paul uses um, have nothing to do with sexual ethic. And so they're a little bit harder to think through when you're, when you're talking about what does God desire from this facet or aspect of my life. I think when we talk about sexuality, even if we're not practicing it correctly, everyone in here is going to agree that it's not hard to choose between legalism and gospel. It's not hard to differentiate between what's legalistic and what's gospel. It is not legalistic to say what the Bible says about sex. But the gospel still speaks into what sexual ethic is. And so we're going we're to deal with those two things. And I, I just want to do that by saying this. Uh, this was the thought that struck me when I was reading through this passage. And that is that legal, legalism says deny, deny, deny. You deny this. This is, this is the way you live your Christian life. You deny things. You deny yourself. You deny these things. And that's certainly a part of our Christian life. But the gospel comes in and it says delight, delight, delight. And so we do not just deny ourselves. We don't just deny ourselves things. We don't just deny ourselves um, pleasure but we delight in what God offers in its stead or the type of pleasure that God offers. And that delight, as the first step, as the first look, we are going to delight in what God has for us, is going to call us to deny certain things, but we're denying those things because we delight in Jesus and the joy that he offers to us. So the first law would be the law of love. 
The first law would be the law of love. Look at verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. The Corinthians, Paul is using their own words against them. It's very likely that Paul even preached these words to them. He says it in other things. He says it in other places in the scripture that all things are truly lawful for you. And he's going to say, he's going to qualify that by saying, but I am asking you to consider whether or not it is loving to act on that, whether or not it is helpful to act on that. And that's where we get the idea of law of love. The Corinthians would say, everything is lawful for me. I can do anything. It's okay. I'm I'm a Christian. I can do what I want. And Paul says, no, not all things are helpful. It is not helpful to think that way. It is not loving to think that way. It is not loving to live that way. Yes, God has freed you. He has given you liberty, but you need to consider your actions and the effects that they're going to have. And what's, what's at stake here for the Corinthians is the idea that, first of all, they're not a Jewish society, okay? So they don't have, uh, they don't really have an um, uh, idea or as good of an idea as maybe the, some of the other recipients of Paul, Paul's letter about the law of God. Uh, all they know is that at this point in 1 Corinthians, that the, the rules about what, what meats Christians weren't supposed to eat uh, has kind of changed. And so that's playing into what they're thinking. Well, if, if the rules for meat have changed, maybe the rules for my body have changed. And you can see this in the language of these first couple of verses. Let's read it again. Uh, all things are lawful for me, but not all things for helpful, are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then there's another quote. Food is meant for the stomach, and my stomach's meant for food. And Paul comes in and says, but God's going to destroy both of those things. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is meant for the body. He's giving them a new mantra. They would say, the food for the body, the body for meat, let's eat, drink, be sexually active, and, and be merry. And Paul comes in and says, no, 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 no. That's not helpful. It's not loving. And he says, I'm going to give you a new, new, new mantra to go by. Your body's for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. But there's a second rule here, and that is the law of liberty. All things are lawful for me. And Paul comes in and says, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be controlled by anything. I will not be a slave to anything. Yes, it's lawful. Yes, it's good in context. Yes, it is okay to act on those desires. Yes, it is okay to fulfill uh, your physical hungers. But we have to rein those desires in. We have to rein those pursuits in with these laws. Is it loving to those around me? Is it helpful to them? Does it build up or does it tear down? <laughs> and am I a servant to it or is it a servant to me? Am I being served by these things that I'm allowing myself to do or am I serving these things? Have they dominated me? And so this kind of sets up the rest of the passage for us. And we're going to go very quickly to point number two. But I want to point out that these verses carry this passage into a realm because Paul is going to focus specifically on sexual ethic. We will talk about these two rules later on. 1 Corinthians 10, especially the law of love. Galatians talks about the law of love. 
And the very first point in taking God's view, the very first thing he says about this is do not think about your body in the way that the Corinthians do. Do not think about your body in the way the Corinthians do. So number one would be that your body belongs to God. The Corinthians are looking at what Paul and the other apostles have said about meat and that it's okay to eat things that were formerly not okay to eat. Uh, Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, they asked um, by the power of the Holy Spirit that even the Gentiles would abstain from certain meats and things, you know, whether that meat was offered to, to sacrifice of idols, it was strangled, uh, the blood was still in the meat. Those were very specific, weird things to us that Gentiles were even asked to abstain from. There's a letter written to the church saying, please, um, you're actually sinning by not doing this because it's something that the Holy Spirit has spoken to us about for this time. And it was understood that that would expire. And at this point, that has expired. And the Corinthians are looking at that and saying, well, if that's gone, I should be able to participate in these other things too, these other parts of our culture, specifically their sexual immorality. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Just because the meat's allowed doesn't mean that these other things are, are permissible in those contexts. You can't just, you can't just look at your body as, as a tool to be fed and this, this whole meats for the body, body for meat, sex for the body, body for sex, it's not going to fly. It's not what we were created for, he says. And again, the whole pursuit is to get to the place where we are not our own. We're bought with a price, and we're going to glorify God in that. So take, take God's view in that understanding your body belongs to God. 13b, second half of 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. The, Lord, the body is for the Lord, he says. That is to say that Christ is to have dominion over our bodies. We are his property. We are his possession. We belong to him. The body belongs to God. And so when we're faced with sexual temptation, when we're faced with the temptation to treat our bodies in a way that God did not design them to be treated, we must be careful to understand that our bodies belong to God. We must take care that we do not use what belongs to Christ as if it were merely our own. We don't have time to go there today, but I would encourage you to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 25 as it deals with this, kind of expounds on this in a big way. Number two, your body is important to God. It's not something that the Corinthians understood by any means. They, again, they just saw their body as, as a tool to be used. It, it doesn't matter. Like, God, it, our body is going to expire. We can just cram it with food, and we can, we can serve ourselves, and we can fulfill our desires, and we can fulfill our lusts. And Paul says, no, God says your body, even your physical body, is important to me. I wonder if any of us have actually thought about this in these terms. The body is for the Lord, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And the, the terms I want us to think through, that I, I have not found myself thinking this way. God desires to resurrect and glorify my body just like he resurrected it and glorified Christ's. There's a reason that the resurrection of Christ was not just spiritual, it was physical. And it's because our resurrection is not just spiritual, it's going to be physical. And God will one day resurrect our body. This is an honor that God is placing 
has placed on the body of Jesus Christ. There's an honor done to the body that he was raised from the dead. And it will be an honor to our bodies that they will be raised. The hope that we have of a resurrection to glory should keep us from dishonoring the Lord by dishonoring our bodies. Number three. I know I'm moving really quickly through these. I want to be respectful of our time. God has already placed a similar honor on our bodies. We're not waiting for this honor. God has already placed it on our bodies. Read verse 15 through 17 with me. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He's already placed an honor on our bodies. We're not waiting for it to be resurrected to be honored. He places value. He places honor. He, he holds our bodies in high esteem. And I want to start with the, the first four words because I think it's important to kind of reintroduce the gospel into the sermon at this point as we're banging through this list of things we need to think about. Do you not know? There's patience here. Paul isn't saying, by the way, I forgot to tell you. You can't just be rambunctious with your sexual promiscuity. Like, I should have mentioned this earlier. I know that you're, you're being involved with temple worship in a sexual way, and, and you're, you're, you're giving your bodies over to their desires. He's not saying that. He's saying, I've already told you, and you're not getting it. It's patience. He's bringing the patience of the gospel. Do you not know? And what he is saying in these verses, do you not know that your, your bodies are members of Christ? They have current value. They have current worth. They are desired, they are honored by God now. The whole of a person is joined to Christ in salvation. This is expressed in the church. The church is a body. The language that Paul is using in this passage should make us think of the church. Your very flesh is a part of the body of Christ on this earth. Matthew Henry says it this way, nothing can stand in greater opposition to the honorable relations and alliances of a Christian man or a woman than sexual sin. There's something about this sin that makes it slightly different than other sins in that it really pushes against God's image of the church and how he views the church. Look at the language and metaphor of these verses. You are members of Christ. Is that true of the church? Absolutely. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And he's using imagery here. He's not using this word flippantly. Um, and he's not using it to be, um, to kind of come down on, on a gender or a certain person. Oftentimes the word prostitute translates to male prostitutes in scripture. This just happens to be female because in Corinth, the temple prostitutes were female. He's using this, this allegory of would it be right if, if I just took a piece of the church and ripped it off and gave it over to sexual immorality. 
I think the obvious answer is no. Okay, well, that's what we do when we step into sexual immorality, privately or publicly, he's saying. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. And he is not saying that in a positive way. I think that's obvious. God says that when you marry a person, your two become one, you two become one flesh. He's not saying that when you enter into an illicit um, sexual relationship with somebody that is outside the bounds of Scripture, that also happens in his view. But he's saying you damage that image, and you damage the image of the church by doing that. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He says, I value you now. This isn't something we're waiting for. He places this value on us now. And then it's no wonder, as we're thinking through this, to say, number four, that this sin is different. If we're having God's view on this, we do have to see this sin as slightly different. I didn't say worse. I didn't say more of a hobby horse. I said it's different. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. And as I was thinking through this, actually, Bill was really helpful in texting me about, about this sermon because he looks at the sermon passage and, and, and tries to pick songs, and it was a very, very hard passage to pick songs for, so appreciate you doing the good job that you've done. Um, and he talked, he, he pointed this out, and it was something that I have thought about in the past, and I didn't know if I was going to bring it into the sermon. When he said it, I felt like that was just a, a, something telling me to do this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. And we all know the verse in 1 Peter, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And Paul says instead of, when we're facing sexual temptation, we're actually supposed to flee from it. There's not a time to stand and resist. This is a time to run. Because the sin is different. Avoid it. Keep it out of reach. Keep it out of reach of the temptations to it, of the things that provoke or welcome it. Direct the eyes and mind to other things and thoughts. Peter writes to resist the devil. Paul says, flee this sin. Don't dabble on it. Don't think on it. Don't try to be creative with the way that you fight it. Just run. The church fathers had a phrase that appears over and over and over again in some of their writings. Other sins may be conquered in fight, this only in flight. Other sins may be conquered in fight, this only in flight. The verse continues to say that this sin is different in that other sins take place outside the body. This sin takes place solely against your own body. The temptation isn't necessarily, when we fall into sexual sin, maybe our reaction shouldn't be, well, the devil is tempting me. We, we need to understand that temptations can come from the devil, they can come from the world, and they come from within. And oftentimes, this, this temptation, it's already ingrained in our desires, it's already ingrained in us. And so there's an internal fight that's going to go on and we still have to flee from that. We have to flee from those desires. It's different in this way. It's not a sin that happens outside the body, but it takes place within the body. That's not to say it doesn't, that it does as much damage physically to the body as, as an alcoholic going back to alcohol or a drug addict going to his drugs or a glutton going back to their food, but rather that the degrading that occurs as a result happens completely within your own body. If I were to lash out at Alex in anger, that sin is not just degrading to me, it's degrading to her. If I were to gossip about a member of this church, that sin is not just degrading to me. If someone is looking at it appropriately, it should bring me down in their view, but it's degrading to the person that I'm talking about. 
If I were to slander a pastor or a servant of the Lord or another person or a politician or anything like that, that is not just degrading to me, it is degrading to them. This sin merely degrades the person committing it. They, these degrade externally. This sin, however, defiles our already defiled bodies. And we are defiled enough. <laughs> That's why Jesus came to die for us. We don't need to add to that. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, God views our bodies as his temple. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The old temple worship structure established a building that was set apart, yielded to God, consecrated for his use. So those of us who are joined to Christ are one spirit and are therefore possessed, occupied, and inhabited by his Holy Spirit. He's chosen us. He places value on our physical bodies. We are the dwelling place of his spirit. Our cry is not to be my sexual identity for my body and my body for my sexual identity. My sexual pleasure and desires for my body and my body for my sexual pleasure and desires. Our cry is to be my body for the Lord and the Lord for my body. I serve him. I serve him. He values me as a person, as a follower of him, as his child. He values us. In culmination, we have that Paul says all of this to point to the fact that you are not your own. Christ has paid for you. He has bought you with a price. If you've been waiting for the gospel to make an appearance in the second half of the sermon, this is it. God paid for you. Paul is talking to Christians. He's not pushing people outside of the realm of God's family. He's saying, you who are doing these things, you are inside God's family. You who are having these struggles, you are inside God's family. You who are thinking inappropriately about the way your body is to be used, you who are acting on those thoughts, acting on those inclinations, acting on that bad understanding, you are in God's family. He's died for, he has sent his son to die for you. He has purchased you. If you have internal struggles with sexual morality, sexual identity, the answer is to delight in the joy that the death of Christ brings into your life, that his purchase brings into your life. You do not have to fulfill your physical pleasure as the ultimate means of finding happiness. Christ has died to bring joy into your life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I do thank you so much for this passage, and it was not an easy one to think through or hear or even teach through for sure. Lord, it's not an easy one to apply the gospel to, but God, you have done that. Um, you saw us in our sin. You saw us in our wickedness. You saw us... Um, in need. And you sent your son to die for us and call us into his family. God, I pray that you'd use this passage and the gospel in our hearts and minds this week. Lord, that we'd seek our pleasure from the joy that you provide, that we'd, we, would be, we would be as envious and vigorous in our pursuit of the joy that you provide as we were in chase of our own sins. Pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.